Okay, welcome along then to Pinnacle Podcast, and this is the NBA breakdown for the 2021 to 2022 season. And this is, well, the last time we spoke, gents, and the two gents that I referred to are the athletic senior reporter, Joe Varda, and also NBA analyst and advisor to CEO at StatsBomb, and also author as well, which we'll come on to a little bit later, Seth Part now as well. Uh, thanks so much for coming back, lads. The last time we spoke, um, there was we were kind of speculating. We were predicting. We were looking at what was to come ahead. Now we've got a bit of stuff to go on, which is really exciting. And I want to pick your brains on so many different topics. And we will sort of just talk about the review so far, but then also styles of play and also the Christmas schedule as well as MVP as well. Now, gents, uh, thanks for coming back and, and talking to us. It's nice to check in again. But one of the most glaring things that has changed since the last time that we spoke is the LA Lakers um, because they've kind of just played themselves well out of the, you know, the standings, if you like, uh, the the kind of the teams that are people are talking about and for all the wrong reasons, not just LeBron James having fisty cuffs with Isaiah Stewart, but lots of, you know, they're, they're poor play all round. They've kind of fallen short of their expectations a little bit. Um, we'll start with, with you, Joe. Um, the Lakers, I mean, what's happened to them? Well... I think there, it's funny, you know, you said uh, one of the things that had changed and, um, you know, we were talking at the season's outset and we were both, Seth and I were, were wondering if they would defend uh, with, with basically an older roster and, and then how the ball would move and what the outside shooting would look like given the makeup of that team. Um, so from all those perspectives, it's not so much that it changed. It's just that everything that we feared has come true. Um, they, they don't defend. Uh, Russell Westbrook has not been a good fit on the Lakers at all. Um, the ball doesn't move like it should, and they don't really have anybody uh, that, that's knocking down the outside shot. Now, the thing that has changed is that LeBron all of a sudden either has had terrible luck or is not aging well. Um, and it's hard to say that about a guy who's going to turn 37 in a couple of weeks because he's been virtually injury free and, <laughs> you know, obviously one of the two or three greatest players of all time for his entire career. But these, these last two seasons have been a nightmare. Mm. And now all of a sudden, I mean, the, the, he's getting nicks and bruises that keep him out for weeks. And um, as we speak, he's in the COVID protocols. So that's another 10 days, maybe more, depending on how sick he gets. Um, the, the, and the Lakers have not been able to, to, to recover when, when he goes out. So it's, it's been a mess. Yeah. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on, on the Lakers so far, Seth? We'll come on to the Brooklyn Nets in a, in a moment because they're the two teams that have kind of had different fortunes. But the, the Lakers, how have you viewed their start to this season? I mean, I think the the biggest issue I think Joe just covered well is is LeBron. If he's not top three or four player in the league anymore, their team doesn't make sense as a championship team. And the reason it doesn't make sense as a championship team is outside of LeBron, do they have a single player who can dribble, pass, and shoot? They have players who can dribble, they have players who can pass, and they have players who can shoot, but they don't really have anyone who can do all three outside of LeBron. And I think especially the way the NBA is trending, you need three, four guys on the floor who can do those things. Otherwise, defenses have become sophisticated enough that they're going to force the ball into the hands of a guy who can't make a play and 
say, go ahead, you beat us. And uh, that's, that's happened a lot for the Lakers on offense. And then as you know, trying to solve that by getting more shooting on the floor, then you're suddenly trying to defend with lineups with Carmelo Anthony and Wayne Ellington. And, and, you know, certainly at this stage of their career, or maybe at any stage of their career for in, in Ellington's case, that's just sort of untenable defensively against a team that has multiple players who can, who can make the play with the ball. It's, it's interesting though, because last season they were without Anthony Davis and LeBron, weren't they, for long periods? They've done this before. So why haven't they sort of, I set the alarm bells, they have not had the alarm bells there. Surely they'd have been ringing and going, actually, come on, we do struggle, particularly without LeBron and also another key player as well. So why haven't they really done anything to rectify that? Is it because they've not had the opportunity to do so? Um, it's, it's the roster. Um, they, you, you know, you look at the, the rotation players that left basically because of, of acquire either directly or indirectly because of the acquisition of Westbrook and, you know, Contavious Caldwell Pope, Kyle Kuzma, um, you know, Montrose Harold did not have a good year for them last year, but was still an NBA, NBA body and, and in a separate deal, but sort of spurred by the finances of the Westbrook acquisition, Alex Caruso, that's, you know, three, three and a half guys who fit those categories to a degree. And you've sort of hollowed out the roster um, to add a you know third star who doesn't fit in your, again, your first star has at least appeared to be entering a decline phase of his career so far this season. I was just wondering, Joe, because obviously you covered Cleveland when LeBron was was at Cleveland and you, you kind of got fairly, you know, you got to see him up close a lot, more than most any journalist, particularly on, on the beat. Since he's joined the Lakers, he's only been available for 74% of the regular season games. That is the lowest of, of his career. Is that to be expected? And I'm just kind of wondering as well, you know, have you noticed a change in how he manages his body? Did he spend as much time on the floor when he was at Cleveland? He, okay, so yeah, th- there's a lot to get into there. Uh, first of all, you said 74% of his games. That is by far not even close, uh, uh, the lowest, his lowest participation rate of his career by, like I said, leaps and, and bounds. Um, when he was in Cleveland, he his first year, he was so beat up mentally uh, by being, I think, <clears throat> unhappy with playing with this coach whom he had never met before and just sort of trying to adjust back to living in Northeast Ohio, um, that he needed two weeks off. He, he actually took two weeks off Wow! and they cited like these minor nagging injuries, but he could have played. It, it, it was a mental break. And that, at that point, that was the longest, uh, the longest absence of his career. And the Cavs were terrible without him. And for the remaining three years, he would miss games here or there, just a handful, and they would lose almost every time. And the point I wanted to make is whether it was those four years in Cleveland or these four in L.A., um, those teams entirely were built around him. You know, the Heat actually had, I mean, when they built the Heat, you know, it was as much Dwayne and, and Chris as LeBron when, when they all got together. And then obviously that got worked out and LeBron became the alpha dog, but leave that to the side. Those, these last two franchises have built around LeBron and they build your, their offense around him and, you know, every kind of everything runs through him. And so 
when you take that piece out, even if the other pieces are complementary uh, and fill their roles well, there is just um, things don't run like the, the way they're supposed to. And, and so you scratch your head and say, well, how could the Cavs not win with Kyrie and Kevin Love still on the floor and these role players? And that was why. The reason this was supposed to be different in L.A. is that Anthony Davis is, is supposed to be a top five all NBA alpha male who can carry a team. And he was actually supposed to become 1A. And LeBron was supposed to be his greatest of all time wingman as they kind of rode off into the sunset. <laughs> that hasn't been the case. And when they won in the finals, LeBron was their best player. There's no doubt about that. And then in these instances where LeBron has been out, but Anthony has played, they've just been okay. And actually uh, for a lot of the time this year, while LeBron's been out and Anthony's on the floor, they haven't been very good. Um, And so that kind of speaks a little bit to Anthony as much as it does this idea that you build around LeBron. This is interesting. What's your take on, on watching LeBron? Obviously, you know, I know Joe's followed him in Cleveland. That's fascinating insight, by the way, Joe, that we're not going to get off many other people, by the way. Uh, Seth, what are your thoughts? Do you, do you kind of, you know, from the outside looking in and, and everybody, I say the outside looking in, everybody's always looking at Le- LeBron most of the time. Is that the way you view it? Or do you have anything to kind of disagree with Joe on that? So what I'm seeing is there's just, there, there's some things you can look at um, in terms of a player's uh, profile of how they're playing, that they don't necessarily tell you much about one player compared to another. But if you watch a player's career develop, you can sort of start to see some worrying signs. And here's what I'm talking about. This is uh, in terms of the average distance of the shots LeBron's taking. It's 15.8 this year. 15.8 feet is his average shot. For his career, it's 12.2. Last year was the previous longest distance, average distance of his career at 13.9. So he's taking the longest shots of his career by almost two feet. Um, His percentage of his shots that are in the restricted area is by far the lowest of his career, just over a quarter of his shots when for his career, he's been, you know, up over a third, uh, some years, even up, up, you know, up almost 40% have been at the rim. He is finishing at the rim at the lowest rate since he was 21. Um, really the, the same rate he did as he's 21, only his rookie year did he finish worse than he has this year. Wow. Dunk rate is the lowest of his crew, you know, for another player. If you saw this suite of metrics, you would say, this is a guy declining physically. This is a guy whose athleticism is, is, is going away. And because I've certainly I've I've written the is LeBron slowing down article before it was six years ago. So obviously that was dumb. Um, but so, but we've been burned about that enough times that you're, you're, you're very reticent to pull the trigger on saying that, but this is really worrisome for him being that top five player. And if you're building a team around a guy being a top five player and he's only a top 15 player, you're just markedly worse. That's just a fact. This is real. I mean, those stats are absolutely fascinating. If you if you are listening to this podcast and you're just taking an interest in who's going to sort of end up as the MVP, and also just in a general interest in LeBron, which I know that there is worldwide, you know that is they're, they're quite startling numbers, actually, Seth. That's um, that's really impressive. I mean, talk. Let's let's just have a look at the Brooklyn Nets actually now. Um, you know, how much of a failure will this be? I'm just trying to work this out. If the Nets don't secure a ring with this roster and, you know, would Kevin Durant stick around? Who who wants to go first on this, Joe? Well, 
uh, I, I've been with Brooklyn a bunch this season, um, both there in the borough and then also out out in the rest of, of the league. And, you know, when I saw as we were going over the script for today's podcast and we saw the word failure, th- the problem there is I'm not sure on whom, because, you know, organizationally from owner Joseph Sy to uh, general manager uh, Sean Marks, uh, you know, down to Steve Nash, who already has a much different team uh, that he's working with than the one he signed up for. Like everybody did the right stuff. Like they, they all tried, they spent the money, they tried to get creative with the roster. I mean, this, this all comes down to, they, they set up their salary structure to win based on three, like, you know, all-star hall of fame type players and one of them decided not to play. Um, so I, I don't know, like it would be a disappointment for sure, but I don't know whose feet you would lay that on as a failure because when they set, set all this up, they, they didn't know that, that, that Kyrie would, would choose not to get a vaccine and, and, and on and on. So, you know, Kevin Durant is the one who is, um, he's actually already signed a contract extension. So he's, he may retire as a Brooklyn net unless right. he's a trade. Um, the question would be James Harden on opening night, just after, after hours, actually, <laughs> uh, after we last recorded a podcast, um, I asked him directly, uh, if he intended to stay in Brooklyn, given that he did not take a contract extension and he was emphatic that he would stay and that it would get worked out, all the financials suggest he will. But if this, if he decides that winning is more important, he can get hundreds of millions of dollars elsewhere and he could walk. So that would be the guy to keep your eye on. Um, But we're sitting here talking and, Harden is still a shell of himself and they're still in first place in the East. So got a mad respect to, to, to what they have done um, less than whole. We're going to talk about a few of the other franchises as well, but just for a little bit of fun, it was quite amusing. Last time it was the first time I'd actually spoke to you guys and we were, (laughs) you guys, so always your kind of level of interest and whatever. I said, look, I, I, I love it. The time difference is scuppering me watching at the moment, just purely because I'm doing a lot of breakfast radio here in the UK and staying up till one, two, three in the morning isn't really conducive with waking up a couple of hours later, which is a shame. However, I've been incredibly surprised um, when I kind of jokingly suggested, hey, Chicago Bulls, you know, what are their chances and was picking your brains. But now there's kind of a serious conversation to be had. Seth, you kind of actually, I remember last time you were going, oh yeah, actually the Bulls are here. I think they're all right. But now they they're looking great they started brilliantly as well and i was thinking are they going to taper off and they've not yet they're second behind the nets in in the east seth what are your thoughts on the bulls have you managed to catch much of them uh they've been my favorite team to watch so far this year um first of all they've been very entertaining second of all the uh the parts of their off season that i think were universally lauded which was the acquisitions of lonzo ball and alex caruso could not have been working out better we thought that that was a just a massive upgrade defensively and that's come to pass um and that's come to pass in such a way that those guys have been so good that it's actually you know even uh two you know Guys who've been relatively poor defenders for most of their career in Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan are part of a functional defense. Now, whether that keeps up all year, who knows? Um, but at the same time, you you have these two really elite level point of attack defenders that allow that, that keep 
everyone else out of different difficult situations. And that's been the basis for a, uh, a really a stark turnaround from them defensively. And then on the offensive end, um, Zach Levine is still playing at a high level. Um, Lonzo Ball has injected, uh, you know, pace and and just you know his ability to get the ball up the floor quickly has allowed you know Levine's athleticism in particular to shine. And they they're, they're just the the synergy between those four perimeter players has been really better than 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 anyone could have hoped for though i'm sure the uh the front office there is kind of since, since they were criticized by some including me for the links they went to to get to rosen um at this point they're see see what we were thinking um and at this <laughs> yeah. point it's it to this point uh you have to say that it has worked uh as well as could possibly have been expected I mean, you've got to say with teams like that, I'm not just talking about the Bulls here, but can you see team? I mean, it's because essentially they have come from nowhere, haven't they? They they were absolutely nowhere and have been for a number of years. And now they're up there and people are talking about them as, you know, like you are just saying that they are so enjoyable to watch. But that can happen, can't it? You, you can get, come from nowhere, get a nice little squad together, start well and then taper off. Do you expect teams like that to taper off? I'm not talking Bulls, I'm talking some of the others as well. Are there any other teams that you've looked at and gone, this isn't going to last. It's nice at the moment, but it's not going to last. They're going to have to still bring in more next season or make some decent trades if they're going to actually maintain it for an entire season. Because that's a different challenge in itself entirely, isn't it? So, I mean, the, the, another team that, that has maybe started better than I would have expected is, is Denver. And I think both of these teams are going to have sort of the same problem is that, that there's not Unfortunately for Denver, it's more injury related than kind of roster building is there isn't the depth of top talents to weather kind of the, the, the full season. And that's, that's if the bulls tail off, it's going to be, I think that, or um, sort of a, a lesser effectiveness from, from DeRozan and Levine. And really, I think that, that, that's sort of a, that, that's something that could happen, but the, the depth issue is something that will happen. You don't have to go very far into their, into their rotation to get guys, you know, there's, there's been a lot of Javante Green, who is a very, very energetic defender, but you know, again, we talked about the Lakers in terms of not having dribble pass shoot guys. And he's, he's sort of another guy who falls into that, uh, that, that mix. Um, they're needing an awful lot from Kobe white who hasn't been, hasn't been, you know, especially consistent to this point in his career, uh, a, a rookie second rounder, Ayo Dusumu is getting big minutes for them. He's a player I like coming out, but this is a, you know, a, a rookie being thrust into a, a bigger role than probably he was expected. So those are the things you worry about for, for the bulls is just whether they can maintain if, you know, Lonzo ball has been a guy who's missed games in his career. Mm. Um, you know, if that starts to happen, how much can they can they withstand that? You'll have seen this though that Lonzo Ball's improved his three point shooting in every single season of his career, um, which is pretty remarkable, really. And I mean, you know, can it can he sustain that? I suppose is the question this season. Well, he's he's also a guy who has remade it, like just from a mechanical perspective. Like he was actually in, despite having a pretty horrendous looking jump shot. He was an accurate shooter in college in his one season at UCLA. But um, there's an assistant coach with, uh, with when he was with the, the Pelicans, Fred Vincent, who really in almost like one summer straightened his form out. And I think that is something that, well, I don't know if he's going to continue to improve as, as a shooter. I think that him being a credible long range shooter is something that is, um, I think, something we can count on to some degree. At this point in the rest of his career, just by our kind of calm it off, even under some pressure. Interesting. Interesting. Um, Joe, what are your thoughts on 
not just the Bulls, but also some of the surprise packages that we've had. We'll talk about the books in a moment um, because, you know, I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on, on on their start really as well. But, you know, some of the other surprise packages, I know you were nodding vigorously when I was talking about the Bulls. Yeah, well, I was nodding because Seth just hit that. I mean, he hit that one out of the park the last time we talked. So yeah. kudos to him. Um, I, nobody, nobody saw the Wizards being like this. I mean, mm. at uh, current conversation, you know, they are thirteen and eight, tied with Miami and a game behind the Bulls, um, all there in the top four, and that's just absurd. Nobody, nobody saw that. <laughs> Um, and, and here they are, they're playing better as a team, you know, top to bottom than they have in years when they had more stars on the roster. Um, I, I, I would look to them first, of course, as a team that would wane, um, just because they, they don't have many players who have won. Um, and obviously we would want to see them do that over a, over a full season. I think if something happened to Bradley Beal, obviously there would be trouble as well. I don't know how deep the, the wizards are. Um, I would be remiss because listen, like we're, we are actually at the quarter point and it's kind of one of the NBA cliches. Seth knows it well that you wait, you need 20 games before you, you know what you have. And that's where we are. We're, we are 20 to 24 games into the season. And so it's not too early to say who these teams are. And at this point, another absolute shocker is the Cleveland basketball Cavaliers. Um, they are unbelievable compared to where we all thought they would be the last time we got together. I mean, surely we were thinking a bottom three, maybe bottom five. I mean, that's what sports books all across the, the world uh, had was, was just, you know, I think an over under of 27 and a half, they're going to blow that out of the water. I, I would think um, they may set, they, they may be the team above all others who eclipses that, that win total, them are uh, by, by leaps and bounds, kind of like the Knicks of last year. Okay. Um, and I think they're different. I think Evan Mobley has fundamentally changed who they are, that he gives them things that they've never had, certainly at any point in this rebuild since LeBron. Uh, Ricky Rubio has changed them fundamentally and, uh, and settled them down and is able to get players in spots. And, and Darius Garland is one who has um, – is developed into a capable frontline NBA player. So Jared Allen has emerged. Uh, Coach J.B. Bickerstaff has done something funky with his lineup. When everybody's healthy, he starts three seven-footers in the front court with, with Mobley and Jared Allen and Laurie Markkinen, and uh, that's been harder for teams to figure out. So we don't know if the Cavs are really a top 16, uh, but they, they have a very legitimate chance to hang on and, and make that play in, which for them would be tremendous. It would, yeah. 11 and 10 as it stands at the moment. Very exciting, actually, for them. Um, the books, I've, I've sort of mentioned them a little bit. Um, uh, you know, in preseason, I mean, look, if we're talking sort of Odds they've not really changed much on Pinnacle, by the way, which you can find all the all the best odds for East West NBA uh, championship, everything on their Pinnacle.com. Uh, but the books they were eight point six seven, they're now eight point one. Um, so I suppose slightly better than people thought. Um, what what are both of your thoughts on on their start really, and and can they return to dominate the league? You know, at the turn of the new year. 
So it's it's interesting. Um, I think this is this is maybe a function of having won the championship last year. But there was, and I living in Milwaukee, I can say this: like the level of panic that you normally you have a top team and you start. They, they did not have a great start to the season, but you look under the circumstances and there was no panic. It's like okay, we don't have our team on the floor, so. And it doesn't really matter what we're doing now. We'll be fine. Um, and now as you know, there, there are several games where of their of their kind of projected top six guys to start the season, Giannis was the only one playing. And in those circumstances, you get what you get. And it's maybe not pretty now that they have, you know, Chris Middleton back, Drew Holiday back, Bobby Portis back. Grayson Allen has emerged as a very capable stand in while Dante DiVincenzo um, uh, continues to recover from ankle surgery. Um, they're kind of back to that sort of, um, you know, uh, my, my podcast partner at The Athletic, Dave Dufour, refers to it as, as a wins, a regular season wins fact. They've kind of they've kind of returned to that. Um, and it's it's sort of it started a couple of weeks ago. They had a very kind of convincing win over the Lakers. Um, uh, I, I say like about exactly two weeks ago, actually, come to think of it. Um, and that 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 was sort of the first real sign that, OK, we've righted the ship. And now that that's now that they're coming, nobody is ever even when they were under 500, everyone was still like, yeah, no, the Bucks will be fine. And they're showing us why now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's going to be to the detriment, Joe, isn't it? Of you know the, the Bulls, the Heat, you know who are. I mean, they're just going to fly up there, aren't they? And you could you could argue, you know, that the Nets will be looking over their shoulder a little bit. Um, the the books down that table, and they'll be going, "Oh my word, they're actually going to they they they're actually flying now." Um, which is interesting. What have you, what have you made of their start? Yeah, I mean, Chris Middleton missed eight plus games, I think, with with uh, COVID and whatever else. And, and um, they, they were just playing less than whole. I mean, Drew Holiday missed games and to, to Seth's point about just being calm and, and not panicking at all. I mean, that's, that's who the bucks are anyway. And then I think there's a very valuable experience to not only of course, winning the finals, that's sort of the culmination of it, but doing it in a year when you finish third in the regular season, which teaches you that you don't have to focus so much on the here and now, and you don't have to be, you don't have to put all your eggs in the basket of being the wins factory, which of course statistics show they have been. But, but when you, when you finish third in a year and you just sort of methodically go about your business, it teaches you not to panic, especially when things work out as, as they did in the final. So I think they are relying on that experience. They are a team that will add, um, will basically get a free agent or a trade without making a trade or signing a free agent. When DiVincenzo comes back, that's a rotation piece. He hasn't been involved at all. Um, so you like that. I think the question for the Bucks is that they are a different team than they were last year. PJ Tucker is not there. Uh, that's Grayson Allen now, like, like, uh, like Seth mentioned. And there's also Rodney Hood is somebody they want to, to count on. And he has been a good player since he showed up in, in Portland, but not reliable from an injury perspective. So we'll see the changes that were made to that team. Uh, you know, George Hill's back. That's another one. Um, we'll see when everybody's healthy and playing together over weeks and months, um, if it's a team that can, can stand up come playoff time. But, um, you know, the, I, think, I think you should be encouraged where they are right now, given, given all the circumstances. Interesting. Right. Okay. When we send the notes out, we've got a producer at Pinnacle who sends the, these notes out onto us on the email. 
And Joe, you responded to the email when um, you sort of looked at what the running order was for the, for this podcast. And you said, both Seth and I, I'm sure we'll have a little bit more to say on the Miami Heat. So I, I want you to say what you need to say about the Miami Heat, because they are part of that supposed surprise package um, bracket in, in, in lots of ways. So, yeah, I mean, just, just kind of analyse th- their first quarter of the season for us. Well... <laughs> I think just they made me feel silly um, and they made me want to record another podcast for you guys <laughs> because we just ignored them. And I, and I blame me uh, for that. We just we didn't talk nearly as enough, enough about a team that had been to the finals 12 months prior um, and got way better from where they were last year in terms of who's on the roster. I mean, Kyle Lowry is a. Uh, can be a franchise-changing player given what he does for you, and the Heat didn't have anything like that. Um, and then, and then PJ Tucker, you know, adding him is—I mean—that is a gritty wing defender that fits perfectly with what the Heat want to do. And you add that to a Jimmy Butler, you add that to a Bam Adebayo. Bam's coming off of an invaluable mm-hmm. experience in Tokyo at the Olympics, and. Um, I should have known, I should have been higher on that because of the respect I have for, uh, for Spolstra and for Pat Riley and the organization. They are a player away, I think. And maybe that player comes back in the form of Victor Oladipo when he finally comes back from his knee injury. Um, but if something happens to Kyle Lowry, I feel like that the offense falls apart. They don't have anyone to play the backup point um, in any real way. I mean, they've been having Tyler Hero do it. And while Tyler is a wonderful player, he's he's gonna he's gonna win an award, a postseason award for most improved, probably or something like that. Um, but he is uh, he's just he's not a point guard. And and um, you know I, I think if they could get somebody there again, whether it's Victor or make a trade to shore that up in the event that Kyle needs some time at some point during this year, I think they should do that. But I, I really like the Heat. And for you, Seth. Well, the first thing I want to say is that is anointing Tyler Hero the uh, most improved winner is is Ricky Rubio Arashier. I think if I like just for someone who to become this much of a of a better uh, kind of aggressive offensive player this late in his career is 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 pretty pretty awesome for a guy who's long been one of my favorite players. But that's neither here nor there. Um, the Heat are a little bit who I thought they were. Um, you, 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 I mean, Joe described it as being one player away. Um, everything I think I said about the bulls applies to them, except they have a higher ceiling than the bulls because their top end talent is better, but you don't have to scratch the surface that much for there to be a lot of Gabe Vincent, a lot of Max Struess. Max Struess finished some game has been finishing games for them recently. And like, okay, he's a, he's a, he's a, a, a nice pickup that they, that, that they tend, tend to do, but he, you know, he's a he's a six six sort of one and a half dimensional shooter, and if you that's not a kind of player who tends to hold up well in the playoffs. My point being is that they have uh, their top players are a little bit brittle. Kyle Lowry is late in his career. Jimmy Butler uh, missed the game against the Nuggets this week. Tyler Hero has picked up some injuries over his his young career. Um, if they're in the playoff with their top kind of six or seven healthy, they're a bear. Mm. Getting there is going to be a challenge for them in part because he, uh, they haven't added the pieces around them that allow them to manage Lowry and manage Butler. They need those guys to win games now. 
Um, and so that's that's the worry for them. And it's it's there's nothing they can do now that will prove to me one way or the other that, yes, they will be healthy in April. And that's you know, that's that's we're just kind of waiting to see on that. We're going to just spend the sort of last five or six minutes of the podcast just going through. Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to ask you a quick fire one so far. So I just want a name thrown at me from both of you. And I know that journalists absolutely hate this, right? But, um, you know, I'm being one myself, but luckily I'm the one asking the question. So it's all right. I'm allowed. So um, MVP so far, if you had to decide on an MVP for this first kind of quarter of the season, who would it be? Go Seth. Steph Curry. Okay. Right. That, yeah. No Easy. hesitation. <laughs> no hesitation. Yeah. And Joe, is that is that the same for you? Yeah, I think I think our top three would be. It would, I, I don't. I, I'm sure we would have the top three. The same. Okay. All right. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, which is good. Okay. Right. Well, that, that was quicker than I expected. Um. So okay. The next, the last guy I want to sort of get into is the Christmas schedule. So a lot of people betting um, and and listening to this podcast will be looking at this Christmas schedule and it's a bit of a fascination but particularly for somebody you know I love soccer and we do weird things with Boxing Day over here in the UK and we always do like weird kind of big matches and it is like a big family feel thing and it's it's great it looks like you guys do the same over in, over in the States with the NBA, because I'm looking at, at these, what can only be described as prestigious um, uh, Christmas day matches, uh, Golden State Warriors against the Phoenix Suns. You've got the Nets against the Lakers, the Celtics against the Bucks. Wow. 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 And I mean, <laughs> these are kind of like mouthwatering if you're an NBA fan. And I just want to know, Really, you know, what what are your general feelings across not just those games, but also the, the Christmas and New Year schedule? Is there anything that people should be looking out for, really? No, this is you're absolutely right. This is in, in many ways. This is the the for, for many fans, even Christmas Day is sort of the start of the NBA season. Like teams have kind of worked through their early season things. And now with this kind of spectacular slate of games, which they've managed to get some really good games uh, this year, especially the Warriors and Suns. I mean, we're recording on, on Wednesday, the, the more, the, the day after they played the first of their meetings, the series, which was one of the more hyped regular season games I can remember. And I would say completely lived up to it for three and three quarters quarters before Phoenix kind of pulled away late. Um, so yeah, that's the, that, that, and this is, I believe going to be their third meeting in the month. So this is almost a, a mini playoff series in November and December, which is, which is a great treat for us. Um, so that's, I mean, I, I would, I'd say that's the one I'm, I'm looking forward to the most at, at, mm. at present It's just those two teams can play as many times as they want and I'll watch. <laughs> I love that. Joe, is there anything that, that sort of tickles your fancy over that over that period? I know you've got to get off in a moment, so I, I will let you uh, just wrap up on here before I start plugging Seth's book. So, uh, so Joe, crack on, you tell us. Yeah, well, I'm still waiting for my copy in the mail, by the way. <laughs> I, can't wait to read it. I can't wait to read it. Um, so I'll be in Phoenix for, for the Suns and the Warriors. And, you know, I think that, that, uh, like Seth said, is that it's absolutely true. It's that's the day where people really start to pay attention to the NBA. Um, they're going to be introduced to a wonderful pair of teams and the Warriors and Suns, uh, clearly, um, ahead above everybody else in the league in terms of not only talent and depth, but, but the way they play just fascinating matchups. Um, the Warriors, of course, are no stranger to Christmas Day. They play almost every year. 
Um, maybe they were off last year. I can't even, I can't even remember, but, but, you know, coming out of that dynasty, they were on forever. Um, so it means a certain thing to them because it's tradition. And then you have a team like the Suns who've never gotten to do this before. Uh, this will be Devin Booker that this will be his first Christmas game. And these are the kinds of things that he relishes in his career, um, getting to do these, these things for the first time. So it'll be a chance to people for people to see the defending champs. Um, and they'll probably be close to hole, uh, in Milwaukee that that'll be good. And then the eight o'clock game is the, uh, is the Lakers and the Brooklyn Nets, um, I'm sure Kyrie Irving won't be on the floor at that point for, for Brooklyn. I'd be stunned, of course. Um, hopefully LeBron will be at that point and we'll get a chance to see. I mean, LeBron has played as much on Christmas Day, I think, as anybody in NBA history. It's close if, if he doesn't have the have that record. Um, some very memorable games on, on Christmas. Um, LeBron against Kevin Durant is is gonna be great. I mean, the you know, we're getting to that point in LeBron's career where we don't know how many more times we're going to see this. Yeah. So you want to, even if the Lakers are still average, um, you're going to want to settle in and, and take that game in because, again, I mean, there may not be that many uh, of these opportunities left. And it's um, it's interesting because it's obviously Seska and those stats, but you know these big legendary players, don't we? They turn up and somehow they go against all kind of logics in all sport, don't they? And I just wonder if there's, you know, this it's so funny, isn't it? You talk about that matchup. It'll just turn up, won't it? Christmas Day, you can see it now. You can turn, you can see him really sort of licking his lips and relishing that. And, um, you know, these big games, you never count these guys out. Um, guys, absolutely fascinating. Um, Joe, I, I know you have to get off but I'm going to allow Seth just a moment now just to take uh, the floor um, and just to talk about your new book The Mid-Range Theory which is out now uh, yes congratulations congratulations uh, just tell people where they can get it and also a general synopsis of what it's about so it is available from from online retailers everywhere uh, people have had most success getting it either from Amazon or from direct from the publisher uh, Triumph Books I've heard people from people in the UK that they've found it at WH Smith I can't uh, I can't uh, verify that personally having not been to the UK hey it's a good <laughs> shop it's a good <laughs> shop um, but uh, so the the book is a is a uh, sort of a, a, a chapter by chapter look at um, the the history and impact of analytics on the NBA game today. Um, and not from a standpoint of here's a bunch of formulas and here's a, equations and charts. So there are a few equations and charts. I'd lose my, uh, I'd lose my, my membership card in the, in the, uh, in the quant union if I didn't, but um, more seeing how, this approach to basketball fits in with the strategic changes, the rule changes, the uh, you know changes in in, in um, how teams draft, um, kind of the the pitfalls of drafting, um, the difference between regular season and postseason play, which has never been larger than it is today, and even I, I go into a little bit about how this discipline, this which is actually I think publicly pretty misunderstood, how it's actually practiced 
in an, within an NBA organization, what the roles are, how the, how the communication works, what the, uh, what the seasonal schedule is. I have, a, I have a friend who, uh, who recently took a job with an NBA team and, and he said he used that chapter to show to his fiance saying, are you ready for this? And no, I'm not. <laughs> Cause the, the schedule is, the schedule is, is for any worker in a front office is pretty grueling. Um, so those are some of the, the, the topics I covered and, and, um, I hope I've made it accessible for people who are, are, are not necessarily, not even quant expert, but at least uh, statistically curious. Um, and, and, and so I've, I've been really, uh, really pleased with the reaction I've seen to it so far. And um, I really hope it, uh, it, it helps better educate uh, readers on what kind of this, this sort of um, almost scare quoted word analytics, what it actually means mm. with respect to the NBA. So that's, um, I don't know if that's the, the brief synopsis. That's a, a medium length synopsis of, of, hey, it's of a great what one. I've produced. Well, it's sold to me. I think it, it's perfect. And if you want a little Christmas present, you're into your basketball. Of course you are, because you've listened all the way to the end of this podcast. So uh, get it now. The mid-range theory, like you, like we're saying, if you're here in the UK, WA Smiths is a good one, but Amazon and all the other trusty online suppliers will provide you with Seth's book. Uh, Seth, thank you so much. A massive thanks to Joe as well uh, for both of your insights. It's always great. Remember, you can get us at Pinnacle on Twitter, at Pinnacle.betting on Instagram, and at Pinnacle.com for all the latest odds and insight on the NBA and more, including how can data inform your NBA betting. It sounds like you just read Seth's book for that. Um, and also this week's biggest NBA matches as well. Now then, thanks so much for listening, and we will talk in the new year. 